This is RDQI. Hey, Ryan. Do you think that wine is a pretentious drink? Uh, well, I think this falls into category of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In the sense of if you are holding a glass of wine and you are making a very pretentious statement about the type of wine you're drinking, the particular vintage, and I know the vineyard from this farm. Yes, I think you're being pretentious as an individual in that point. Having said that, you can also get two buck chuck, which, well, it's not two buck chuck anymore, is it? It's like three or four dollar chuck, right? From Trader Joe's. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't right. know. I haven't bought two buck chuck in a long time because I may be a little pretentious when it comes to wine. And I don't know that that's necessarily wrong. I don't think there's anything being, um, cause I think I know what you're saying, saying in the sense of like, you have a higher opinion of wine cause you've cultivated your sense of wine drinking and the different varietals and how that affects flavor and body and yada, yada, the list goes on. Right. And I don't think there's anything inherently pretentious about thinking about anything that way. Obviously, we're just talking about wine right now. But when, like, you're the guy at the party, Dave, who's, like, trying to impress people with some obscure knowledge of the grape that you're drinking, and you're kind of being a little bit of a jerk about it, yeah, then you're being pretentious. Then it's not cool. I've met plenty of people. Like, one of uh, a good friend of mine from Chicago is Assam. Um Hey, you know him too. You, we both knew who I'm talking about. A sommelier. What, is, what does that actually mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. So a sommelier, S-O-M-M-E-L-I-E-R, you say half the letters because it's French, um, is basically a wine expert. Um, so they can, um, the friend I'm talking about is not a master somme, but a master somme is like the highest level you can be of a sommelier. And basically, that person should be able to open a bottle of wine, not see the label, and be able to guess not just what country it was grown in, but probably what region of that country, and in particular, what varietal of grape they actually used to make it. And they should just be able to tell that from the nose, like smelling wine, and by tasting it, typically. That's kind of, it's way more complicated and involved than that, but that's a pretty good baseline, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So I, I, I think that, you know, the reason we bring this question up in the first place is because I think we can all agree that wine has a reputation for being very snobby and very pretentious. Mm -hmm. But really what the enjoyment of wine is ultimately is just the enjoyment of different types of wine and preference for one over the other and just enjoyment of that difference. How is that any different than one person preferring Coke over Pepsi or preferring, you know, Ecto Cooler over Capri Sun <laughs> or, you know, red drink over blue drink. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think that everybody who, you know, derives some kind of pleasure or enjoyment from food or drink engages in some kind of tasting of it and, and preference for one taste over the other. So why, when it's beer, for instance, it's a little bit more snobby to say, I would like an IPA over a lager, but it's just the pinnacle of snobbery when it's applied to wine. 
<laughs> right. Like, I don't drink California Cabernet. Ugh. I'm only a, I'm only a Pinot from the Willamette Valley guy. Yeah, if you make a statement <laughs> like that, you're just, you're over the top. Um, well, okay, here's my, my theory, is this is kind of centers around class ideology. Um, as Americans, most of our heritage comes from England. That's where most of the first white immigrants to this country were from, at least, that the Great Britain, uh, the Great British Isles, I should say. And um, mm -hmm. in Britain, in the 17th, 16th century, wine was a drink for the aristocrats because they could pay to import it from France. And beer was the drink of the common man um, because you could produce everything you needed for beer in country. So people could brew beer, but... If you were really in the know, you didn't drink beer, probably. You drank wine. Now, those are broad generalizations. I'm sure there's exceptions. But in general, that is certainly the case, especially when you consider how many of the 13th, 14th, 15th century kings in England were actually French. So there's, I think there's a class association that kind of has stuck with us for at least a millennia now, basically. That's, that's kind of what I'm going to go with, at least. How about you? What do you think? Well, it's funny you say that because I think that class distinction may, I think you, you're onto something when it comes to America and, and potentially other parts of the world. But then you go to places like Italy, you know, I spent several months sure. working on farms in Italy and wine is their everyman beverage. Yep, it's, that's a good point. It's what, you know, they save, they save the good stuff for, you know, the weekend or special occasions, but every single meal has table wine on the table and it's not you know we we think of wine you know in in crystal glasses here in the u.s but they drink wine out of whatever they can coffee mug you know right small little solo cup like it's it's not a hoity-toity beverage at all it's just something you get to have with lunch and dinner <laughs> always right. it's, right, it's right. part of the table as, as part of salt and pepper and olive oil right that's a very good point that is very distinct from the british culture that I'm familiar with and certainly American culture. Cause typically Americans like, yeah, you have to put wine in a wine glass. Like it has to be, there better be a stem, you know, it better have a nice goblet feel to it. Like there's a lot of care given in the American culture. Ritual. Uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Ritual to what particular glass you consume wine out of beer. Typically in this country, you just pop the tab off the can and drink it. Or if you are somewhat enlightened, I don't know, beer enlightened, maybe you make sure you pour it in a glass, you know. But even then, that could be seen as slightly pretentious at certain parties. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to kind of counter my own point of, well, look, it's just taste. I don't, for whatever reason, wine gets a bad rap. I, you know, I, the truth of the matter is, is that there is a, there is a, a world of distinction when it comes to wine that's just not prevalent with anything else. You know, people who have a preference for Coke versus Pepsi, like probably can't define that anymore than I just like Coke better than Pepsi or I just like Pepsi better than Coke. Well, why? I don't know. It just tastes better. Like that's that's really as as in-depth as that argument gets. Um, sure. Whereas, you know, beer, now you're getting into beer styles, you're getting into... Um, you know, how it's made, how it's produced, but then wine, you know, is, is a whole different world. And, and I think you and I have a little bit more knowledge than the average person when it comes to 
that world of wine. But yeah, probably. We're certainly by no means experts at all, even a little bit. Not even <laughs> close. No. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a really good way to bring this up. I think, so for me, wine, my exposure to wine really started in college. Like I had wine before, you know, like Thanksgiving family dinners, things like that, but it didn't mean anything to me. It was more like, oh, I'm 16 and drinking alcohol at the table. Ooh la la. Yeah, that was more the thing. Um, and I certainly liked beer first. It was, yeah, like the, the sparkling nature of it. Um, not that I had a great taste in college, that's for sure. But wine was Damn always Adams. positioned as like, you have this at a fancy event. This is something different. This is something that you don't use in a typical convivial atmosphere. It's more for a formal atmosphere. So I was always introduced to wine as something as a level above beer and spirits even. Um, so then my wine, but like my real wine understanding really comes from working in and around the restaurant industry. And the, the Psalm friend that I was talking about earlier owns a restaurant that I was very familiar with, spent a lot of time there. And being exposed to people who know so much more than me about wine really helped me learn a couple of things that helped me decode the world of wine. So I, I, I've been exposed to a lot of wines, a lot of different wine making ideas and some of the terminology. As far as my palate is concerned, <laughs> it's a, it would be a joke to consider that I have uh, anything more than a baseline cultivated palate at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I, so you and I could probably shoot out our top three. <clears throat> uh, I mean, there's so many different ways to carve wine, but let's say grape variety, right? Three, like our, our three favorite grape varieties or even three favorite regions. Maybe we could sure. also do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we take one of those grape varieties in one of those regions, so let's call it like, you know, Barolo from Piedmont, right? Mm -hmm. In Italy. Can yeah. you, neither, neither one of us, I mean, honestly, that's, that's can't be in my top three because I just frankly can't afford those wines. No. <laughs> but of, right. of any wine that would be our favorite, would we ever delve into vintage meaning you know the year that it was produced <laughs> no the, um in, in blended wines you know the percentage of x grape versus the other one like that no way not no, a chance i have no close. idea what that means no i mean i i guess i i know what those terms mean but i can't place them relative to the wine that someone's showing me someone could be like oh here's a uh a champagne from this one champagne house and it's a 2012 vintage and i'd be like that sounds really impressive because this is champagne from the champagne region of France. So it's like legit stuff and it's a vintage, so it's not mixed. I couldn't tell you a, a darn thing about the 2020, sorry, the 2012 vintage itself. It could be terrible for all I know. Like it, it would go way over my head, but I could decode it at least that far. That's kind of a, that's, that's, that's as far as I go though. But you know, there's a lot of, um, knowledge of of vintages and a lot of appreciation for that out there um mm -hmm. you know i have a funny story about finding a, a bottle of uh bordeaux from lafitte roth rothschild i don't know how to say that in french <laughs> or pronounce that in french sure um but one of the five great Bordeaux houses in France, which is, you know, other than Burgundy, probably one of the more famous wine regions in the world. Mm -hmm. And 
an unopened bottle from 1973. And so I, you know, having known a little bit about this, I'm like, oh, okay, like this could be worth something. So I go online to look at the prices. And the 1974 vintage was worth something like uh, 20 grand. Okay. And the 1973 vintage was worth $60. <laughs> All right. Wow. That's uh, just missed it. Just, just missed it. Man, <laughs> that is amazing. That so, there could be so much value swung in a single year. And I, I mean, I think, I think this is where, you know, you and I can maybe get a little bit what others would consider pretentious or snobby about wine. But I think that you and I would, well, I'm not going to speak for you, but I would draw the line at a, you know, three quarters of a liter of liquid being worth $20,000. I just, I just don't see anything being worth that amount of money. Right. I mean, that's like, how else do you look at that other than as a status symbol? You know, well, and that's what it's become. And I think that really feeds your point of wine being this drink of the rich. You know, there's a lot of things out there that exist for the people who have more money than they know what to do with. You know, if you have a billion dollars, like you can't spend that amount of money, (laughs) you know, on (laughs) on regular stuff. (laughs) Right. So, you have to, you know, that's this whole economy has has risen up for these ultra rich people to spend that kind of dough, right? Like spending twenty thousand dollars on a bottle of wine, or you know, fifty million dollars on a yacht, or tens of millions on a one way or like a one trip to outer space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a whole whole world at the top uh, end of the spectrum where rich people essentially just trade money back and forth. But that's a topic for another time mm-hmm. yeah i'd agree with you twenty thousand dollars for a bottle of liquid i'm not in for that no not at all not really um twenty dollars that's fine that's a very i wouldn't say comfortable price range because most wine i buy is actually typically below 20 bucks a bottle but so okay if it's kind of just if we're guessing here that the reason wine's pretentious is because it's kind of a rich person's playground to splash all their money around, what wine is worth drinking? Like what, okay, you kind of brought it up earlier. What would your top three types of wines, as generic as you want to be, what would those be? Yeah. Well, it kind of, it's kind of exactly what uh, it's going to feed into your your thesis there because... You know, I mentioned Barolo earlier, which is this um, this uh, wine produced in in the northern region of Italy, which is just notoriously long lived. You know, they like you don't open a bottle of Barolo for the first twenty years, and they age really well, and they're very very expensive. I mean, you know, I think you go into any wine store and you find a bottle of Barolo and it's probably not that great and it's going to be minimum $50. And they, you know, it just goes up from there. Right. Those are not my favorite wines. <laughs> Partially because I've only had, you know, a few of them. I worked at a vineyard in Piedmont and got to try a couple there and like, yeah, you know, great experiences, very interesting, delicious wines that I would not pay that kind of money for. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Um, my, my favorite grape of all time is Barbera, which is 
a very makes very simple young wines that go great with tomatoes and tomato sauces and most wines don't and that's why I love it because it's such an easy wine to pair with like pizza and pasta but it is it is table wine for the most part in Italy mm-hmm. that's you know it is not a noble grape by any stretch but it is a good grape you have a very good point there about barbera that's nice stuff <sighs> It's the best. It's just, and you bring up a good point though. It's about what you're doing with the wine as well, right? So you're talking about like if you're making a pasta dish, pizza, whatever, it's probably a a relatively laid back dinner you're having. The goal isn't to impress someone necessarily. You know, like you're not trying to close that business deal with Barbera. But if you're Mm -hmm. just chilling and grilling, like that's a great wine. It's such a easy to play with wine. That's pretty easy to find a good example of as well so it's not so um yeah snooty Cote de Rhone probably a that's not a grape but a region in France um that makes a lot of very expensive wines Chateau enough to pop is from there but their their Cote de Rhone sort of base <laughs> offering is like a really earthy wine um that's has just there's not a whole lot going on and yet it's just the quality is just very, very consistent mm. and usually fairly cheap. And honestly, I mean, like the probably the most expensive my taste would go would be maybe Amarone. Um, and that's honestly, it's more that's more of a nostalgia thing for me. Uh, but Tempranillo is, you know, if I really want to cook a really like a good date night dinner. Um, you know, something a little on the rich side, like a good Tempranillo. But even then, it's not a <laughs> the the high offerings of Tempranillo are few and far between. Right. Yeah, because Tempranillo mostly comes from either Spain, Argentina, Chile, maybe California. Is there Tempranillo in California? I can't remember. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm right. Sure. I'm sure someone's doing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting that you chose three. You know what? Rugs. Actually. Well, no, so I, I think I'd take, I don't know which one I would remove, but I think I would have to throw Sauvignon Blanc in there just because it's a grape that's grown all over the world and it is so different everywhere it's grown. And one of the, like the, the, the biggest kind of mysteries in wine is anybody who's had a, a Sauvignon, Blanc, bleh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand <laughs> yep. knows that it is... Like you, it's not even the same grape. It tastes completely different. It has this really fruity floral aroma, um, and nobody knows why. The New Zealand government actually issued a like a multi million dollar grant to some wine institute to try and understand why. Same grape, same genus and species classification, just tastes so differently when it's grown in New Zealand versus anywhere else in the world. So I think that's probably <laughs> number four, just because of its <laughs> like. It, the uniqueness factor. What sure. he yeah, I, I did not you know, know the government from the, the Loire. New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, it's grown in South America. It has a different character in France. It has a different character in Italy. It has a different character in California, New Zealand, South Africa, like anywhere. It's it just it it's like it's a chameleon of a wine grape. Uh, that's a good point. So that's mine. What about yours? Um. Well. As like a daily drinker, not like a, hey, I'm going to drink a bottle of wine every day sort of thing. Like, you know, like a regular weeknight meal sort of thing. I tend to go white, white wine nowadays. Um, 
My favorites, let's see. There's one, okay, so there's a, a type of grape that comes out of Spain. It's called Chacoli. It's spelled funny. It's T-X-A-K-O-L-I, I think, something like that. Um, and it's, you're not going to find it like everywhere in the United States, but if you go to like a specialty-ish store, you could probably find some Chacoli. I like it. It's light. It's bright. It's very, it's more minerally forward than fruity. Um, so it's going to be drier, you know, less sweet. Um, and I appreciate mm -hmm. that. So I'm, if I can find that, it almost always ends up in my basket. You know, that that's kind of the requirement here for me. Um, is that one of the grapes in, in port? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Chocoli is, I think it's limited to just the Basque region, but I could be wrong because I don't really know. Um, another kind of like go-to daily, honestly, Pinot Wars from the Northwest, from Oregon, Northern California. Oh, yeah. They're pretty tried and true for me. I mean, it's hard to miss, you know? So like if it's kind of a, <laughs> kind of last minute, like, oh, I'm having... You know, these people over for dinner and I, I need a bottle of wine. If I see it, you know, an Oregon or a Northern California Pinot, sure. I'll just grab it and go. It's probably going to be great. Um, mm -hmm. My, uh, I have to echo, echo you on the Tempranillo. I think um, I love Tempranillo, the grape itself. It's, to me, it's very earthy, very structured. So it has some tannins to it. Yeah. Kind of the, not bitterness, but well, kind of bitterness um, that you can get out of wine. Bitterness probably isn't the best term for it. Um, yeah, it's like tannic without having to really do too much about the tannins. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, like it's a pleasing tannin content instead of a, tan a tannin content you want to age away or aerate away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's not so offensive as something young and super tannic. Yeah, um, and kind of. I'm cheating a little bit here, but looping in another wine to Tempranillo, any Spanish Rioja is going to be probably yeah. mostly Tempranillo. I'm, I'm not sure if that's actually like mm -hmm. a denomination thing, but um, that's a good go-to for me as well. I'm Basically, I'm a sucker for Spanish wine is, I think, what, <laughs> what I'm realizing here. Um, but I will throw in so, one. So let me... So I'm going to guess that that uh, anybody who's listening to this who doesn't have like a real good appreciation for wine probably lost us a little bit in that in that our favorite wine conversation. Right, because we're now um, on the pretentious scale, right? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, so you said you said something like, oh, I'm a sucker for Spanish wines. I think a lot of people would kind of roll their eyes at a statement like that, but... I know that you mean something and, and you and I both kind of mean something different when we say stuff like that. So like, for instance, you know, my, most of my favorite grapes are what are considered old world, mm -hmm. <clears throat> meaning there's a, there's a very distinct difference with, uh, between how old world countries like Italy, France, sort of Spain, they're kind of a blend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then New World, like U.S., um, South Africa, Australia, um, South America. And so, so like the New World wines tend to accentuate the fruit, whereas the Old World wines tend to accentuate what is called terroir, which we don't have to get into a, a ton, but it basically means they're trying to define a, a sense of place rather than a sense of grape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why... 
when you're talking about a Californian wine, you tend to say like, oh, it's Pinot Noir or it's a Chardonnay or it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Whereas when you're talking about a French wine, you almost always define the region, Cote de Rome, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Loire. Um, and and that kind of just like, that is a indicative of, of the mentality. But these old world wines are, I mean, really earthy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think what's so wonderful about Spanish wines, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but they tend to kind of thread the difference where they're they're earthy, they have that old world mentality, but there's just a little bit of a little bit of I don't know zestiness or fruitiness that that those wines exhibit. That's just a like kind of the perfect blend of the two. I think you might be onto something. Having said that, the reason that I like Spanish wine, I think, is it it's not French wine, so it's not snooty, right? So that's where French wine typically is on my barometer. Unless you're in France, because uh, being in France is great, because you go get like a two euro bottle of wine, and it's one of the better bottles of wine you've had that year. I love France for that reason. But when you live in America, French wine is not that cheap ever. Um, and so... I've avoided it because to me, decoding French wine would mean I need to learn more terminology and more subtlety to actually understand if I'm getting a good French wine or if I'm just getting ripped off by someone because I'm buying a French wine. Whereas Spanish wine kind of fits in this, and kind of like you're saying, it straddles new world and old world a little bit in terms of it's the industry there. So you can you can get a great sparkling white wine from around Barcelona. They call it Cava there. And it can be, it won't be just as good as champagne because it's different, but it'll be something enjoyable. And I know it's reliably mm-hmm. going to be enjoyable at a reliable price point. And so I think when you put all that together, <laughs> that's why I like Spain. I don't I don't think it's like, I, I don't think my palate necessarily prefers Spain, but I also don't care enough to develop my palate to actually pick a favorite country. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. I, somebody once told me, like, you know, France produces France produces the best wine in the world, hands down. Unfortunately, if you take French wine as a whole, 5% of it is the best wine in the world, and 95% of it is the worst wine in the world. <laughs> yeah, okay. And they do they do a lot of you know it's they export a lot of crap you know go to go to Trader Joe's and buy a nine dollar bottle of Bordeaux it'll be the worst thing you'll ever drink you know so so I think about you know so so clearly you and I have at least you know some kind of a appreciation for wine I don't think we've won anybody over who wasn't already on the on the train no probably not <clears throat> but but I think it's important to. I don't know. I, I think wine teaches me a, a a valuable lesson about passion and, and interest and um, dedication to some form of, uh, for lack of a better word, art or craftsmanship. Maybe is a better word, craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, my so somebody I know. One of one of our you know mutual good friends could care less about wine and beer. Like mm-hmm. you know, give me give me a Coke and give me a Budweiser. 
I, I don't, I could care less. You guys are wasting your time and your money. Why would you spend more than $2 for a bottle of wine? It doesn't make any sense. It all tastes the same. And yet this person will, you know, covets these high-end cars, you know, Teslas, muscle cars, um, <laughs> sure. Mercedes, Porsches, uh-huh. right? Like, it's not that this person can, you know, like, <laughs> it's... Right, right. have a bunch of cars we don't we don't run in those circles but <laughs> he sure would like to have those but but he he spends money on on you know cars his his car is much nicer than mine my car is the cheapest thing i could afford that would reliably get me to where i need to go <laughs> right so you have inverse priorities when it comes to cars versus wine but I don't think either one of us is wrong. I think that, you know, you will delve into the things that you care about and you don't necessarily need to delve into the things that you don't care about. There's nothing wrong with two or three or four buck Chuck. Nope. At not all. at all. It's just not your priority. But mm-hmm. you probably have another priority that I don't share. Which really gets, which gets kind of part of the point, I think, is if you don't care, then you, there's no reason to care about wine. I mean, it's your life is going to be fine if you don't learn the difference between Barbera and Barolo. It's going to be okay. There probably won't be mm-hmm. an instance in life where you're on Jeopardy and it's your chance to potentially win the game by answering that question correctly. right? Like, it's probably not going to happen if we're playing the odds. And I think, I mean, kind of what you're talking about, like, wh- where does your passion actually take you? Um, what topics do you explore because of what you're passionate about? I think if you try to force yourself into liking wine because you think it might make you into someone different, make you cool with this group of people, um, make you more sophisticated, it might, it might not, who knows. But if you really don't truly care about wine, you don't have like interest in some level, you know, like who are you trying to please, yourself or someone else?